The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the queen of crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I'm Kemper Donovan. I'm Catherine Broback. And for three years now... We have been introducing our podcast thusly with that emphasis on rankings and to celebrate our third year anniversary as we celebrated our first and our second, we are doing a rankings focused episode. The third anniversary gift, Kemper, is leather. <laughs> I hope I hope you got me something exciting. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we have been doing this podcast for three years now and over the course of the last year covered another 10 titles. Interestingly, Catherine, I was I was looking at this and in our first year we covered 15 titles, in our second year we covered 13 titles, and in the last year we covered 10 titles. So, we're slowing down a little bit, but I, I'm hopeful that we will be picking up the speed again because the goal, of course, is always to cover one novel per novel month. month. Yeah, so that we would be uh, well, I'll, I'll also note that we were a little over eager the first year and we're trying to do a novel every three weeks and it turned out that was a lot this is true i think that we actually even covered the secret adversary christie's second novel immediately after the mysterious affair at styles because at the beginning of this endeavor we were thinking we would just cover all of the novels i don't know once a week that's just crazy but yeah we yeah. we uh we were poor judges of the amount of time it takes to record a podcast <laughs> well, and you know, and we should note, actually, because if you are listening to this podcast episode, you are a dedicated listener and you perhaps care the regularity and frequency with which we post our podcast episodes. And we had fallen into a pattern of publishing two to three short story episodes between novels, which would give us our one novel per month rate if we were publishing every week. And moving forward, we are, I wouldn't say running out of short stories, but we certainly don't have as many of the short stories left as we did at the beginning of this endeavor. So we are moving, just as an FYI, into a little bit more of a bi-weekly schedule with bonus episodes peppered in here and there. We will still be posting a novel episode every month, if all goes well, and then at least one short story episode in between, which would be more of a bi-weekly or once every two weeks. I'm always confused if bi-weekly means once every two weeks or twice a week, and I kind of think it could mean either. So just to be clear, once every right, two weeks, sort of a pattern. And we'll try to add in, you know, some shorter episodes, maybe some talk about, you know, slightly different topics like adaptations, things of that nature. We should note, as we often do, that we, of course, also run a Patreon site. And if you are itching, 
looking for more content, if bi-weekly is just not enough for you and you have not yet subscribed to our Patreon site, you can always do so at www.patreon.com slash allaboutagatha. Part of what we're running into is that some of the stories left, they're not well suited to a full podcast format. Do you think that's fair to say, Kemper? I think, yeah, they're not well suited to our mystery puzzle breakdown that we use. And we still, as you know, shoehorn many of Christie's thriller adventure stories into that breakdown and manage to make full podcast episodes out of them. But there are some stories, especially within the Hound of Death collection, that uh, it would just be a little bit too much of a stretch. So those are stories that most likely we will eventually cover on our Patreon site at some point, but not anytime soon, I would say, because we do have so many short stories yet to come. With that in mind, let's dive into the current state of our rankings. And Catherine and I were just chatting a little bit before we recorded, as we sometimes do. And as we remember it in our rankings episode last year, we had quite a lot of changes to make. Um, right. I think there was there was a lot of rejiggering that was going on. And I suspect, although I may be mistaken, that we won't have as much of that rejiggering to do this year. Let us see if that is the case. And I should say also, what we will do is upload a grid of our rankings as we did last year, concurrent with the posting of this episode, because it can be a little confusing merely listening to this. This is one episode where a visual aid helps. So um, feel free to go on to any of our social media accounts to view them. And I usually leave that for the end of the episode. But since I'm referencing it now, I will say it now. You can find the grid on our Facebook page, which is all about Agatha. You can find it on our Twitter account, all about the dame. And you can also find it on our Instagram account at all about Agatha. So yeah, I think it makes sense to start with the top and work our way down. Let's just start with our. Wait, you don't wanna, you don't want to save the best for last. You're really going <laughs> for like an anti climax here, Kemper. I know, but I also want to make sure that there's the most chatter about the best titles. So <laughs> I want to. Fair enough. <laughs> I like talking about how much I love Christy. So just starting with the top five, we have five little pigs, and and then there were none tied in first place for 43 out of 50 points followed by The Murder of Roger Ackroyd at 38 points, followed by Murder on the Orient Express and The Hollow tied at 35 points, but we have decided to put Murder on the Orient Express in fourth place and The Hollow in fifth place, and we did decide to put Five Little Pigs in the number one spot, even though it did technically tie with, and then there were none. I don't know about you, Catherine, I feel really good about this top five. Yeah, I really don't have a change. Maybe I can nitpick a little bit about how points were allocated, but right. as far as how they're ranked, even the two ties, I wouldn't change it at all. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I love the fact that Five Little Pigs ended and then there were none are tied because they're both superlative. And I especially love that we're giving Five Little Pigs the respect and honor that it deserves. I think that most Christie fans, as opposed to casual Christie readers, would agree with us there. I mean, listen, you're talking to a Five Little Pigs uh, diehard. I am uh, preaching to the proverbial choir. (laughs) You are, yes. So very, very happy with that. You know, I think as we said on the original podcast, the only thing that Five Little Pigs could have done would be tragically disappoint me. And 
since I didn't do that, it was um, a blessing for it to be a number one for me. <laughs> yeah. And then Murder of Roger Ackroyd, I love the fact that it's in our number three spot. And I think it should always be extremely high up, even though it doesn't get referenced so much because it is so special and it does something very specific and brilliant. And it's funny, I just recently read a little blur because Malcolm Gladwell has a new book out. So of course he's doing press everywhere because he can do press everywhere. And he referenced the murder of Roger Ackroyd as a formative experience reading it when he was a child. It sort of showed him for the first time what a narrative can do. And I love that because I think he's right. And that's why The Murder of Roger Ackroyd deserves to be in number three. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the more interesting thing in this top five to me is that The Hollow is actually the one that ends up tied with Murder of Roger Ackroyd were it not for its deductions. Yeah, I kind of think that's fair. I mean, I think The Hollow is a brilliantly written book. It's not necessarily as brilliantly constructed and conceived as And Then There Were None and Five Little Pigs and The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. But it's so brilliantly written that I think for sheer execution, um, mm-hmm. were it not for its horrific anti-Semitism riddled throughout, I think it would be up there. And you know what? Tying with Murder on the Orient Express is not so bad. Well, no. And also The Hollow by far has the lowest mechanics rating of, of the, even of the, the top, top ten. Yeah. Well, even in the top 10. Even in the top 10. You're right. Yeah, that's six. A six out of 10. It's true. And all the other top fours are nines, except for The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which is our only 10 out of 10 that we've ever given for plot mechanics. And fair enough. No, I agree with that. I also love the fact that uh, now moving on to six through 10, our next title down is Death on the Nile, because that's a title that we were hard on initially, and then we adjusted it upward majorly in the last State of the Rankings episode. And we come back to that novel so often. I think about that novel so often. It really has stuck with me. I do think it is one of Christie's finest. And I think that sixth on this list is warranted. Yeah, I agree. Um, One note before we move on to the top five is that we've only given three tens, period. Mm -hmm. And no two tens for any single novel. But we gave Five Little Pigs a ten for the characters. We gave, and then there were none, ten for setting and tone. And we gave... Murder of Roger Ackroyd, a 10 for mechanics. And that's the top three. And I think that that is extremely accurate, actually. Yeah, me too. And I think, you know, for example, it's telling that Death on the Nile, on the other hand, doesn't get a super high score in any one category. It's got a seven for mechanics, a six for credibility, a six for detective characterization, an eight for one-offs, and a seven for setting and tone. All put together, that's a very high score of 34 out of 50, but it's not doing anything superlatively necessarily the way that those novels are. But I Cumulatively, but I, it is. Cumulatively, exactly. As a novel, that's why I say it's one of Christie's finest novels. I think it's just all humming along perfectly, and when you finish it, it's just satisfying and shocking and she really pulled off something fantastic with that book. So that's at number six. Then we have a podcast favorite, The Murder at the Vicarage, in number seven. Still tied, technically, with Death on the Nile at 34 points. I definitely think it should be below Death on the Nile. And it's funny, but we keep on saying this in our State of the Rankings episodes, we don't have that many Miss Marple novels in our rankings 
still. Well, there haven't there haven't been that many of them still, as it turns out. And you know what? We are two novels away from the Miss Marple novel that people often cite as their favorite, if not the best. A murder is announced, right? So it will be interesting to see where that falls in our rankings. But given that the only other Miss Marple novels we have are The Body in the Library and The Moving Finger, I definitely think Murder at the Vicarage is the best of those Marples, and I have so much affection for it. So number seven feels right to me. Yeah, I mean, I it goes back a little bit to charming characters. Yeah. And, you know, it holds up. I, I think part of the reason it doesn't um, land higher than Death on the Nile is that it's missing the sort of iconic factor yeah. that Death on the Nile has. Yeah. So that's a little bit what is giving Death on the Nile the edge there. Oh, absolutely. Partially that has to do with the Ustinov film adaptation, but only partially. There is an iconic quality to the novel that Murder of the Vicarage definitely doesn't have. And I think I've said this before. I wonder if ultimately we will adjust Murder of the Vicarage down because I don't know if when we're at 66 novels, it really deserves to be number seven. That feels no, high to no, me. No, I think I well, I believe that it's also up there because it's a very good um, novel introduction to Miss Marple. It is. So yes, I think that um, you know, come a year from now, and we have some more Miss Marples, perhaps it will move down this list. Yeah. Well, rounding out our top 10, we have Peril at Endhouse, Cards on the Table, and the ABC Murders. Those are all at 33. And I may as well actually mention 11 and 12, because they're also 33 points towards zero and Sad Cypress. So those are five novels that we are very fond of for different reasons. And I feel good about that. I think the order makes sense. I think that Cards on the Table and the ABC Murder should be in our current top 10 and certainly Peril at Endhouse. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel as strongly about Toward Zero and Sad Cypress being in the top 10, but I do think they are incredibly strong novels, and I'm glad that they're up there. Yeah, I don't really have any changes. I mean, I think that Peril at Endhouse, if we were to change like the individual ratings within that, I might shake them up a little bit. But I think ultimately the spot that it's in is correct. I mean, the only change I guess that I would have is where Toward Zero and Sad Cypress rank and if they should be flipped. You know what? I actually think they should be flipped. I totally agree with that. Because you know why? We had a long discussion about this when we did Toward Zero. And I think that all the things that we said in that episode were valid. However... I believe that we come back to discussing Sad Cypress more than we come back to discussing Toward Zero. And if they have the same ranking and we're just deciding which one is more meaningful to our ongoing conversation, then I think Sad Cypress has the upper hand. I completely agree. And it's funny, I was actually talking about the podcast to a friend of mine who listens to the podcast. And NRM is one of her favorite titles, and she had just listened to our episode, and she she was like, oh, it's such a shame that you don't really like that one. And I was like, oh, no, I actually really do like NRM. Yeah, but, no, we both like NRM. <laughs> yeah, but, but I understand why she thought that, because I think sometimes, often, people tell us, we come across more harshly about titles since we are being critical, and we when we get to the ratings, we're looking to deduct points. And I think sometimes it might seem as though we don't like a title as much as we actually do. Towards Zero, though, is the rare example where I think it seemed as though we liked it more than we do, or just after the fact we realized maybe we didn't like it quite as much as we did in the first flush of having read it. I think it's a very good read. Yeah. 
And I think that I have more nitpicks in a weird way about Sad Cypress. But again, I feel like if I'm going to think about one a lot, it's probably going to be Sad Cypress. It's going to be Sad Cypress. And I think a lot of that comes down to character. It just well, has and, 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 characters. And, to- well, and tone and the fact that she is experimenting in an interesting way. Right, structurally. Um, with the narrative. Yeah. Yep. And it's only a one point difference, but I'm happy to see that we did give Sad Cypress the edge, both in terms of one-off characters and setting a tone in eight over a seven. And I think that that's what makes a difference. So I have changed the order there. So we now have Sad Cypress in 11th place and towards zero in 12th. So now we're getting to the first title that I might like to actually shift a little bit. Because okay. 13th, we have Appointment with Death. And it is a wonderful title. I have, I wouldn't say affection for Appointment with Death, but it is memorable. Right underneath that, we have Evil Under the Sun and Three Act Tragedy, which are tied with Appointment with Death for 32 points. And to my mind now, there's no question that Evil Under the Sun and Three Act Tragedy are better books than Appointment with Death. Appointment with Death and Evil Under the Sun, I certainly feel okay with switching. I might still put Appointment with Death above three-act tragedy, but I can be argued to put it below. Yeah, I just think that three-act tragedy is so brilliant. One of podcast friend and Poirot continuation, author Sophie Hanna's favorites. She definitely feels that that is one of Christie's unsung brilliant titles because of the obfuscation that she's providing there with the dress rehearsal murder. Right, and it Um, is very clever. It's very clever, and I think that even though I wouldn't say that the characters in Three-Act Tragedy get under my skin as much as the characters in, say, Sad Cypress and Death on the Nile, I do remember that novel very well. And it has been a long time since we've read it. And I remember Sir Charles, and I remember Egg, Lytton Gore. I remember the clever plotting, but I also remember the interplay of the characters. And also, Catherine, let us not forget, Three-Act Tragedy is the only novel to feature... Mr. Satterthwaite. Mr. Satterthwaite. So, for that alone. You know what? You're totally right. For that alone... I knew that I would get you on that one. No, I know. (laughs) I know. Our beloved Mr. Satterthwaite showing up is definitely enough for me to move it up. Yeah. All right. Okay, so Evil Under the Sun is now in 13th place. Then Three-Act Tragedy is in 14th place. And Appointment with Death is in 15th place. Lord Edward Dies is in 16th at 31 points, so it's one point lower than those three. If I had my way, I would put Lord Edward Dies above all three of those novels. I would put it above Three-Act Tragedy. But Catherine, I know, still holds a grudge against Jane Wilkinson. So. I mean, a girl has to have her nemesis. <laughs> I, you know what? I think I should probably take what I can get and be happy that Lord Edward Dies is in 16th place, because that's still not shabby. I do think it almost should be in that same grouping. Um, and it's a little bit weird that it's at one point under them. Like, if they're all going to be tied it almost feels as though they should all be grouped together but i also am not going to um argue for that because of you know my Ooh, grudge hey i would agree to that bump it up to a 32 i totally agree yeah. but, but leave the order the same mm-hmm, yeah i'm mr burnsing my hands right now excellent <laughs> <laughs> this is phase one in my ultimate goal of shooting lord edward dies to the top to number oh, one no. it's like so- such a terrible, terrible scheme you have going here. 
I mean, I would say that I don't think there's any reason for the setting and tone ranking of Lord Edgeware Dies to be lower than those three novels. We gave setting and tone a seven for Evil Under the Sun, three-act tragedy, an appointment with death, and a six for Lord Edgeware Dies. I would be happy putting that at a seven. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I think that the others have more memorable settings, but... Or we could take away one deduction because Lord Edward well, Dies does have actually, four I was deductions. Actually, yeah, I was actually going to suggest that. I was like, it seems like that might have been a little heavy. I think that was probably a little heavy. As evidenced by the fact that I can't even quite remember why we gave it that many deductions. There I must know- have been a pretty good reason because we generally, that it's pretty harsh compared pretty to a lot harsh. of things. I think that there were some egregious anti-Semitic asides. Isn't Lord Edward Dies the novel that has the character named Rachel whose long nose quivers with emotion? And I think there were a couple of those instances. Oh, and of course, it is also the novel that features near overt homophobia. Yes. I think that's the primary reason because there's the um, houseboy. Yes, the Adonis valet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the sadistic Lord Edgeware who keeps his beautiful valet and clearly does despicable things to him. I mean, not great. (laughs) Yeah, but I think three is enough for that. So fair enough. We'll leave the six for setting a tone. We'll knock it down to three. Give it 32 points. Keep it in 16th place. And next year, it'll be number two. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Curse you, Jane Wilkinson. Okay, so next, then, in our next grouping, uh, at 31 points, we have a little cluster of three titles. The Body in the Library, followed by Sparkling Cyanide, followed by The Sitterford Mystery. And I'd actually like to bring in the title just beneath that, which we just covered, Taken at the Flood, which comes in the number 20 spot at 30 points. And um, we mentioned this at the end of that episode. It felt a little low to us. Yes, it did. At the moment, I think that if we hadn't known that this rankings episode would be coming (laughs) right afterward, we may have even fiddled with it a little bit at the time, but we knew that we would be able to do that right now. So here's the thing. I think it's ridiculous for Taken at the Flood to be below the Sitterford mystery. Yeah. I I also think... I I, I like the Sitterford mystery personally, but... I do too. We clearly have a lot of affection for the Sitterford mystery, but it keeps on falling each time we do these rankings episodes. And I think that that is fair because it is a perfectly fine early Christie novel. It has a good mystery and good characters, But not only is there nothing iconic about it, I would argue there's not even anything superlative about it. And as we add Christie titles to this list, they just keep rising above it. And that doesn't mean that we don't like it. But I think that she's doing everything well in the Sitterford Mystery, but she's not necessarily doing anything all that interesting (laughs) in the Sitterford Mystery. Whereas in Taken at the Flood, there's a lot going on there. It's post-war setting. Even just the mystery itself is pretty complicated, but it all resolves very pleasingly. With that ending that you could read as being pitch dark and kind of commenting on the state of England after the war. So, yeah, I mean, I also, I think feel that if we only gave Poirot a five for taken at the flood and we gave Miss Marple a seven for the body in the library, Mm -hmm. there's an imbalance there. Yeah. I mean, I would frankly even consider moving it a, above the body in the library. Oh, I would too. No, no, no. I I totally agree with you. I think that Taken at the Flood should be just below Lord Edgeware Dies. And then 
Body I would, in the library. You know, I would actually, here's what Move sparkling cyanide up. Yeah, I would do Taken at the Flood, Sparkling Cyanide, The Body in the Library, The Sitterford Mystery. Yeah, I think that that's totally, totally fair. Because Sparkling Cyanide, it hasn't been that long since we read it, but we reference it all the time. The characters are excellent. There's a lot in there to chew on. I just think it's a title to be celebrated. And it sounds as though we don't like The Body in the Library. We do. Yeah, I like The Body in the Library, and it has like a very creepy plot. It does. It does. No, it's fantastic. Yeah, the duality of, oh, isn't this a fun adventure that Dolly Bantry and Miss Marple are going on? And then, you know, this teenager's corpse is being used as a... I know, it's horrifying. Yeah, as a decoy. It is. So, again, though, we're still top 20 here. So this is just rejiggering by a space or two. So... All right, let's reorder these. If we're going to put Taken at the Flood in 17th place below Lord Edgeware Dies, I think that you're right that I think the five for Poirot is probably a little bit low. If we up that to a seven, that puts it at 32. Then we can just reorder these other three, right? So we'll put Sparkling Cyanide in 18th place and The Body in the Library in 19th place and The Sitterford Mystery in 20th place. Cool? Yeah. All right, so now we're kind of in the lower half of our rankings because we're we're getting into 21 through 38. I actually think we're in good shape here as well. Let's take the next three, which all come in at 28 points. We've got one, two, buckle my shoe, the mm-hmm. secret adversary, and podcast favorite, the man in the brown suit. I'm actually okay with where all three of those are. Me too. I like the fact that the man in the brown suit is our highest ranked thriller. Mm-hmm. Barring potentially a secret adversary, which you could argue is also a Christie thriller, but given that it's it the first Tommy is. and Tuppence, yeah, it's also and it's good. It, it is actually good. I think it deserves to be up there as well. And I like the fact that one two buckle my shoe is in the middle because that is a deeply flawed novel. But I do think about it, and some of the tricks that Christie employs in that novel come up in later novels. I think it's actually a really useful novel to keep in mind as a Christie aficionado. So I like that it's at least in the middle of the rankings and not super low. Well, I also like it actually with the two kind of thrillers because in some ways, once you buckle my shoe is self-referential in a bunch of places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I sort of like that it's grouped right there because all three of them have a degree of self-awareness to them. All right, then we then have three titles grouped together at 27 points. That would be Death in the Clouds, followed by Hercule Poirot's Christmas, followed by NRM. You know what? <laughs> Given that <laughs> we were just talking I about know. how much we liked NRM, I might I might put NRM above Death in the Clouds and Hercule Poirot's Christmas. Yeah, I was going to say that you've always had more affection for Hercule Poirot's Christmas than I do. So um, I'm happy to um, leapfrog over that. Yeah, I still think that Hercule Poirot's Christmas should be higher. I think it should be a point or two higher. Like, if I had my way, it would be 29 or 30 points so that it fit between the Sitterford Mystery and One Two Buckle My Shoe. I think the <laughs> the Policeman Did It is one of the big Christie tricks. 
And even though it's a little clunky, that locked room mystery is a little clunky and the characters are a little lifeless <laughs> and the oh, setting. Oh, you, you, you don't say. <laughs> and the setting is a little not there. <laughs> uh, yeah. like everything else for it is not working, which is why I don't feel that strongly about it. And I'm actually fine with it where it is, but I would put it a slot or two above. But if you feel strongly enough about it, I'm, I'm fine leaving it where it is. I'm not a huge fan. So yeah, yeah. yeah. fair enough. I'll use that to force Lord Edgeware dies a little bit higher. I'm oh, saving, I'm saving no. all my cards for Lord Edgeware dies. I know. Excellent. <laughs> all right. I actually really like NRM. Me too. <laughs> there are so many flaws with it, but I think it's really enjoyable to read. It's a really fun novel. And that too, I mean, what she manages to do with those two Tommy and Tuppence novels, which are very different from the next two, the last two Tommy and Tuppence novels we have yet to cover, is I think capture the fun of the better thrillers and anchor them to this detective couple, and, and it works. I mean, if it weren't for some of the most ludicrous elements of NRM, I would almost say that I think it's better than The Secret Adversary, only because only because we have read The Secret Adversary and, of course, the Partners in Crime collection. And so the thing about NRM, seeing Tommy and Tuppence age, seeing their relationship with each other, seeing how they have evolved... Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. So that yep. makes the book incredibly interesting to read. No, I agree. I think we'll be saying the same thing about By the Pricking of My Thumbs, but times 10. I have a right. feeling that By the Pricking of My Thumbs is going to rank pretty high. Actually, I might be wrong. It might not be as good as I remember it. But I think that all of those qualities of the way that they're aging and how they're in a different place in their lives, et cetera, et cetera, are really brought to bear in a, in a powerful way because they're so much older by that point. Right. So it's one of the titles in the far horizon that I'm really looking forward to. Um, well, you know, I think both of us were really looking forward to NRN and I, I think we were, you know, right to, despite its flaws. Right. And I think it suffered a little bit for us from the hype, right? We were so looking forward to it that it perhaps fell a little below our heightened expectations. But now that we have some distance, I think we can recognize, no, 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 like it's a legitimately delightful book. Right. Okay, so NRM is now in 24th place, followed by Death in the Clouds and Ercupar's Christmas. And, you know, it's funny, Death in the Clouds, the only affection I have for it is that it's the title referenced in that Doctor Who episode that we covered on our Patreon site. <laughs> well, and also because it has a wonderful Fontana edition cover, which also has a ginormous wasp. Right, which is why it's referenced in that Doctor Who episode. But right. the book itself, we've talked about the fact that it has one of the most egregious racist asides. And as always with Christy, it's obviously an exceedingly clever plot. But I just don't find myself thinking about that book all that much for a 30s Poirot. So. No, I, you know, I think about some of the plot tropes in it, but that's about it. Yeah. All right. Then we have, at 26 points, Murder in Mesopotamia. (laughs) We do, every now and then, I think, call back to that one, but not in a good way. Right. Usually we're referencing it as an example of Christy straining credulity and not pulling it off, as she usually does. You know, obviously this is the book where she has a woman realize Uh. that she didn't marry the same man twice. And, um, you know, what's funny and we didn't mention it in the last episode and in taken at the flood, the notion of a woman not recognizing her husband 
and how ridiculous that would be is referenced when Rosaline Claude is supposed to be identifying, you know, this body and saying whether or not it's Robert Underhay. And like Christy actually said that. And I wondered if she was thinking about Murder in Mesopotamia. So I'm quite happy with uh, Murder in Mesopotamia being at 27 out of 38. Yes. So then we have a cluster of novels that are at 24 points. These are The Mysterious Affair at Styles, followed by The Moving Finger, followed by The Murder on the Links, followed by Dumb Witness, followed by The Mystery of the Blue Train. These are all deeply, deeply flawed <laughs> novels. I think that the order is right because if anything, the mysterious affair at styles, you know, I, I remember that we had bumped it up in our previous discussion of the rankings because it deserves a lot of cred. It's the first novel, yeah, it does. right? Of course. Yeah. Um, so perhaps, you know, when we're doing this at any year's time, if there are just too many novels that are hovering in this zone, we may have to bump it up and give it a higher ranking just to make sure that it remains where it belongs. I think for right now, I'm comfortable because it is at the top of this pack at 24 points. I think it should be. I certainly think that it's better than The Moving Finger. And then even though The Moving Finger we had so many issues with, I do think that The Moving Finger is unquestionably better than The Murder on the Links, Dumb Witness, and The Mystery of the Blue Train, all of which kind of descend in quality for me. I'm very happy with that order. I would consider arguments in favor of moving Dumb Witness above Murder on the Links. But I can leave it where it is. I I will just put it out there. Yeah, I think that's interesting because it's funny. We've come across since reviewing Dumb Witness so many people who have so much affection for that title. Right. It's the dog title. (laughs) Of course. And like, and I have to say that, you know, if you think about it as the dog book, you do like get added um, affection onto it. So, you know, our big problem with it is the repetition. I mean, I think that that is like the major knock against it. Right. No, that is. Here's the thing. I don't want to particularly reread either of these novels, Dumb Witness or The Murder on the Links. Even given the repetition in Dumb Witness, however, I would unquestionably rather read Dumb Witness again right now than The Murder on the Links. Because The Murder on the Links is dense and hard to get through. Not as hard to get through as some of the thrillers that we're about to cover that are at the bottom of the list, but for a puzzle mystery... It really is one of the worst. Again, just speaking relatively. So I think that's fair. Actually, let's switch them. I'm kind of suddenly happy about that for some reason. <laughs> Me too. Me too. No, I I think you're totally right. All right. So Dumb Witness in 30th place, followed by The Murder on the Links in 31st, and The Mystery of the Blue Train in 32nd. I don't think we have any disagreement that that should be at the bottom of those titles with 24 points. No, and if we were being really fair to Agatha, we would probably just like drop it to the very bottom altogether. I know. It's definitely not as bad as she thought it was. I think that no. has so much to do with the time at which she wrote it. But And there's a ghost. And there's a ghost, yeah. So then we have Murder is Easy at 22 points, followed by Why Didn't They Ask Evans? That is one of the early thrillers at 21 points. The Seven Dials Mystery, also an early thriller at 20 points. Right. Death Comes as the End is 36th at 20 points. And our last two titles at 16 points are The Big Four, Followed by, in dead last place, number 38, The Secret of Chimneys. 
No, we get back to the point where I've argued on every single one of these anniversary episodes that I firmly believe the big four to deserve the last spot. And I firmly believe the secret chimney says, um, you know, I believe that on every one of these anniversary episodes, Kemper, you always also welcome me to uh, reread the secret of chimneys to create a more compelling argument. I do. And um, I've not taken you up on that. So yeah. And, and you know what? I'm going to use what strikes me as a pretty fair litmus test that I just used on Dumb Witness and the murder on the links. If right now someone put the big four and the secret of chimneys in front of me and said, you have to read one of those. There is no question I would be reading the big four. No question. You know, can I um, circle back to a point that we made at the beginning of this anniversary podcast? The Secret of Chimneys, I also believe we read in the string of novels that we read back to back to back, thinking that we could put out an episode um, every other week. And by the time we hit The Secret of Chimneys, so for all you loyal listeners, the reason we had to stop doing that was literally The Secret of Chimneys because it broke our willpower. (laughs) <laughs> and, the secret and again, of chimneys is why this is taking over five years. <laughs> this well, podcast right. endeavor. No, it is, and and so I think what my argument has been in the past, and what my argument still probably is, is that I actually am pretty sure the secret of chimneys is less bad than we think it is because we just happen to read it as the last one in that slew of way overdoing the novel episodes. And so I think by the time we hit that, we were exhausted and wanted to throw the book across a room. And so I think in a different mindset, it might not be in that position. I'm not going to fight for it, but I mean, that is a better explanation as to why it sits there. And there is a very easy way to test this hypothesis, Catherine. I know. <laughs> Come back to me in a few years. <laughs> that aside, that little quibble between us aside, I'm happy with the order here. You know, we did not like Death Comes as the End. I was surprised by how much I didn't like Death Comes as the End. That, of course, is the really? novel set in ancient were, Egypt. And um, Were you really surprised? I was, because I had definitely read it, and I didn't remember it being as hard to get through as... It was upon my reread for the podcast. I was really surprised. I strongly feel it should be very low. So I'm happy with it being third to last. And the Seven Dials mystery, why didn't they ask Evans? I just think they're thrillers that didn't work all that well. So I think that they belong toward the bottom. And Murder is Easy is one of those titles that others have more affection for than we do. Murder is Easy has actually a lot more to recommend it than a lot of these bottom books do. It does. That's why it's not even like it's tied and we're just putting it ahead. It scored higher than the bottom You know, if Murder is Easy didn't have such a bananas ending, I would rank it higher than Mystery of the Blue Train. It's that Murder is Easy just, you know, not to continue train metaphors, but it really goes off the rails. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's close, right? Yeah, perhaps in a year we could come back to that. I, I, I think there's an argument to be made about putting it above Mystery of the Blue Train, but it's not an argument that I feel particularly compelled about So I think that we can leave it where it is. 
happy with how little rejiggering we had to do this year mm-hmm. because I think that this list largely made sense and now it's even a little bit better. Yeah, I think it gets honed every time. All right, well, that is our anniversary rankings episode. Happy three-year anniversary, Catherine Brobeck. Happy leather anniversary to you, Kemper Donovan. <laughs> I expect a pair of chaps in the mail. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Join us in our next episode for a Parker Pine short story. We will be covering the Oracle at Delphi, and our next novel episode after that will be Crooked House. Very excited for that creepy title. And in the meantime, I will just repeat what I already said earlier in the episode, but feel free to contact us. You can email us at allaboutthedame at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at allaboutthedame. Catherine is at Brobcat. Our Facebook page is All About Agatha, And our Instagram handle is at allaboutagatha. And if you have made it to the end of this episode and you haven't rated or reviewed us, please do so because you are a stalwart listener and we would love to hear from you. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.